0: And there is something, even when you don't know, you don't understand the words that you're singing, and you don't know what's going on, there's, as you will know, and from all the work you do, there's just something soul-surging about suddenly hearing all these people who I don't know, our voices coming together with these amazing acoustics in this church, um... I mean it'd just be moved to tears most weeks so it was just really nice it was suddenly that I had something to do on a Tuesday night and also I had a sense of belonging I was part of this choir I wasn't just that weird British woman who had rocked up I had an identity
1: You're listening to This Is Why We Sing a podcast with me, James Sills I'm a musician, a singing leader and an author and I'm passionate about the power of singing but don't take my word for it In this series i invite guests from across the singing world to share their insights and their inspiration i believe that singing can help us to lead happier healthier and more fulfilled lives and i realize that that's quite a big claim and so for this second episode of the podcast i thought it was important to invite someone who knows all about happiness helen russell is a happiness researcher she's an author and a journalist and I first became aware of her work in 2015 with her best-selling book, The Year of Living Danishly. As Helen explains, she moved to Denmark to start a new life with her husband and set about finding out the secrets of why Denmark, at that time, was deemed the world's happiest nation. And singing did indeed play a part in that. So we talk about Helen's research, both in Denmark and in cultures across the world, about her experience of joining a choir in Denmark and how that made her feel more part of her local community. And more generally, we talk about the power of songs and how they can match our emotional states. And and this is particularly relevant with her new book, How To Be Sad, which is released on 4th of March, 2021. I'm so grateful to Helen for agreeing to appear on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation and we bonded over our secret love of Disney songs and our not-so-secret love for the Pet Shop Boys. This was recorded at the start of 2021, when both Helen and I were still in lockdown in our respective countries due to coronavirus. Anyway, hope you enjoy. Here I am in conversation with Helen Russell, myself recording in North Wales, and Helen over in Wintry, Denmark. Well, welcome, Helen, to the podcast. Thank you for being here.
0: Thank you for having me. We
1: have so much to talk about. But the first thing I'd like to know is what song is in your head right now?
0: Um, I think, I mean, what's been in my head and the whole family's head for some time is Into the Unknown from Frozen 2, that <laughs> I never planned on sort of getting so much into kids' films and I never watched any of that before I had kids. And now just... Uh, honest, I don't know if it's because we're in lockdown, but it feels like I'm getting life lessons with every re-listen. It's those surging kind of chords. So yeah, it's constantly in my head.
1: Pulling on the heartstrings, those yeah. Disney songs. Well, yeah. do you know what? Actually, those song, that song, well, not that song, but some Frozen songs have been in my head a lot, because uh, I, I think my kids might be a bit younger than you, but my eldest is just getting into Frozen uh, with no half measures. But yeah. yes, I know what you mean, actually. I, I, I kind of resisted at first, and then I thought, I'm just going to enjoy this. You and, know?
0: and there is something kind of cinematic as well. You know, we're in winter right now, but you just sort of go out into the world and it's quiet and it's all a bit eerie and odd. And you, I, I don't know if we're all going slightly crazy, slightly stir crazy, but it sort of feels like um, you need some sort of soundtrack to your life. And so maybe you are in a film and maybe this is what's playing. I'm getting very into it. Yeah. So
1: we're going to be talking about happiness today, very, very broadly. And um, I think on your website you describe yourself as an author, a journalist, and a happiness researcher, which sounds like a very exciting um, mix of things. Um, let's just start off by how how might we define happiness, or how do you define happiness?
0: Well, goodness, I mean, I the official answer is it's it's defined by we it's measured in a in a quite interesting way in a more scientific way than perhaps some people might expect. So that they ask people. Um, how are you feeling today and how are you feeling with your life overall Um, but then there's also the aristotle idea of happiness of this life with purpose having a meaning so it's it's all of these things and of course it's very individual i think for me it's around doing work that i enjoy and feel passionate about and being able to have conversations with people this year has been so hard not being able to to do that having that connection and then spending time with my family and doing all the silly fun stuff but um there are things that always play into happiness, as you'll know, you know, things like um, the government that you're living under, your um, your socioeconomic status, your availability of childcare and work and all of that stuff. So th- there's all of these different pieces of the jigsaw. It's, it's endlessly fascinating wherever you're looking in the world.
1: Yeah. And looking around the world is what you did in your 2018 book, The Atlas of Happiness, which is a beautiful thing. It's beautifully written and, and beautifully illustrated. Um, and what was uh, what was the kind of the remit of, of that book
0: so I was interested I um, a, a little background for anyone who might not know is that I currently live in Denmark and I moved to Denmark when my husband was offered his dream job working for Lego out here um, and when I moved here around that time Denmark kept being voted the happiest country in the world it was when these these um, polls started to be done by the UN and things and I became fascinated by this and started researching into why and looking at every area of Danish life to see what Danes did differently Um, and when that book came out it was published all over and I started to hear from people all around the world sharing their own country's happiness secrets and it's It sort of opened up my eyes a little bit I thought well I've just been focusing on Denmark but of course yes every country where wherever they end up ranking on the happiness scale people have their own ways of of getting through each day and surviving so I ended up speaking to people yeah from from Costa Rica from um, you know Russia from uh, New Zealand all over the world um, just finding out what it was that that each country did differently what was their unique happiness uh, concept that we could perhaps learn from and try wherever we are in the world
1: yeah I love that, yeah, so there's no kind of one best fit you know it adapts and morphs according to to different cultures and different countries um and I was delighted as a singer and as a singing advocate uh to find that singing was in there in in quite a few of the um happiness secrets that you discovered. so I was hoping we might talk a little bit about that. um we'll start with one fairly close to home, just over in Ireland, which is Am I going to get the pronunciation on here? The crack, <laughs> crack.
0: The yeah. Crack? I, do you know what? I think that's as good as as you can get if you're not from okay. there. I mean, I, it doesn't sound right <laughs> in my accent either. No one wants to hear a home county's accent saying the word crack. It's just <laughs> weird. But yeah, my friend Neve would would coach me on on how to say it right, and I'd never quite get yeah. it. But yeah, of course, it's this this idea that everyone, I guess, has a sense of of what they think the crack is, and uh, alcohol is often involved. Storytelling is a massive massive part of it. But but the singing and the idea. Um, my my friend Neve would put it that she would pop into a pub and perhaps there'd be um, somebody from a folk band there and then they would sort of strike up and they would literally break into song. Which as a sort of repressed English woman just blows my mind a bit that they would n- spontaneously break into song and end up singing. She'd tell me times when she'd sung until three in the morning, you know, and there'd be endless verses of songs and just there's a there's a real joy and coming together and spontaneity that um that feels pretty special and warm and just fun just really fun
1: yeah and and i guess there's also that thing that there's a kind of there's not the big distinction that we might have in other places or just in our own minds about this is you know i am a performer or i am an audience member yes right
0: yeah yes it's very inclusive um all the people i spoke to were at at pains to point out that it's very inclusive but there's also um a sense that um, one of the interviewees put it that if you have a voice it's your duty to use it so if someone asks you for a song then you sing um and that's quite interesting as well but but at the same time everybody is included but if you do have a particularly great voice then yeah why shouldn't you share that that's a wonderful gift what a lovely thing to be able to bring to people i love that
1: Yeah, so it's like if you're asked to sing a song, then who are you almost to refuse? Yes, yeah. Yeah, because then then I guess it becomes more of a social exchange than a musical
0: exchange. Yes, yeah, and because it is so spontaneous, I guess, as you say, there's not that definition between performer and um, civilian, Um, but but there's also not that definition between performance and normal time chatting in a pub. So that feels lovely as well, the idea that it can just happen.
1: Yeah, that can just be part of everyday life. That just just reminded me of... um, an exchange I had when I lived in Ghana for a year uh, where again that kind of the division of who's a performer who's the audience member kind of you know um wasn't really as apparent and um the family the Ghanaian family I was staying with we went to church and he was like you might as well join the band you know you'll have a lot of fun and so just handed me a bass guitar you know and I play guitar but I'm not really a bass guitarist I you know so I was all being oh no I, I couldn't I'm not really a bass and I don't really know any of the songs and they were like they were like, oh, Bruni, white man, you must play, you're here, come on, you know? I love that. And suddenly, it, you know, the the social kind of contract was more important than any kind of, you know, musical worries that I might have had.
0: Yes, that's a really interesting point. Yes, and that's so appealing to me personally because it's not what I'm naturally good at. So all of the research I do and all of the, the you know, sp- going and speaking to people and going out there and speaking to, to strangers, it's completely out of my comfort zone and I would not do it if I were not doing it in a professional capacity so much so the tenacity that that gives me is really helpful I really value it so I love the idea of coming from a culture where that is expected where that is normal
1: yeah exactly yeah and so it becomes a different type of exchange I guess um, fantastic okay in terms of yeah putting yourself out of your comfort zone I believe that as part of your research for the Atlas of happiness you found yourself learning the hacker
0: I did yes and I was very worried about you know the idea of cultural appropriation but um, I've I've had it explained to me by many people now that even the you know the former Maori Party leader has encouraged the teaching of the Haka in different parts of the world to actively promote Maori culture, and mm. that um, my teacher actually had blessings from his elders to open it up to other people. So yeah, I think many of us have an idea in our heads of the Haka as this very kind of powerful um, macho series of movement and singing, and from you know perhaps the New Zealand All Blacks, but right. actually. It was fascinating to learn more that that actually, hacker isn't about aggression. It's it's that strength and showing emotion are one and the same in Maori culture, which is it sort of takes a little while to sink in. The idea that you can be strong and show emotion, and that is equally valid, and they are mm. the same, is just a bit of a game changer for us, certainly in the UK. Um, and so that was really interesting. My, I found my body and my voice doing things that I didn't know it could and that it hadn't done before. Um, and it was v- slightly daunting to go into it as a, as a newbie at the beginning. But mm. but of course, that's another very inclusive thing. And you see um, after the, the Christchurch shootings, you know, that, that there is this rush to come together as a nation and new hackers are being written and performed and that it is everybody else allowed to be a part of that that that's incredibly you know generous and what an honor to be a part of that but um yeah it feels it feels like a really extraordinary thing that I now try and encourage everyone to try and experience if they are able to
1: yeah so when when you are actually in the workshop you know because um I've I also have had the um the real pleasure of learning a hacker when I was I was over in New Zealand, um, as part of the WOMAD festival, I was performing at WOMAD and, um, we went to a, uh, a, a Mirai and, um, yeah, we le- I think we might've learned the same, I might've learned the same hacker as you actually, after reading the book. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a very, like you say, it's a very physical thing, you know, um, th- the voice is a big part of it. Um, how, I don't know, how did you kind of find that experience like that kind of coming together, all those different kind of elements? Cause I found it really, really powerful.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think um, I, I think there was a very interesting um, difference in the way people felt about it at the end, depending on whether they were male or female, actually. I think because a lot of the women were unused to um, using their bodies to make such powerful, um, you know, these sort of warrior, powerful shapes sometimes, some of these mm-hmm. things, um, and the voice in that way as well, um, whereas it it seemed to come more naturally to some of the other people there um so i think that seems like an incredibly powerful thing especially i mean i've talked to girlfriends a lot about it since and that for women to to get in touch with their with the full spectrum of their of their body and their voice and um to kind of harness that assertiveness Mm. felt felt really useful and important
1: yeah and do you ever find yourself just occasionally when you little pick me up just doing a bit of a hacker in the house
0: well um well do you know what? in in Ted Lasso the one of my other lockdown favorite uh shows they at one stage they're trying to sort of confuse the opposition and they end up doing some uh, you know hacker on the football pitch and there was a part of me that's like yes this is where this is what I've been waiting for yeah so yeah I can't wait to get get out in the world again
1: <laughs> get hacker in um so okay we, we've talked about hacker there um but I know that you, um, you've you written about singing as well in, in the book you mentioned at the beginning, the year of living Danishly. And um, it was really, really interesting here. You wrote about, I think it was the third chapter where you kind of decided you needed to go and get some hobbies and um, integrate. Um, yes, I didn't
0: know anyone. I should point that out. Not just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did yeah, you that's didn't right. have any friends, well, any family? Didn't know anyone. <laughs> this
1: is... Okay, well, I'd re- be really interested just to hear about that kind of journey, really, you know... Um, the moving to Denmark, but but then also, you know, your experience of singing and, and how that might have helped that, that transition, or it might not have helped.
0: Yeah, so I think, like like many people, I did I was in choirs at school, and I really loved singing at school, and I did some of the grades and things, and I really loved it, but then I went to university and I drank too much and shouted along to songs too much and just never really took care of my voice at all. And so I kind of had the, was of the opinion that my singing days were done as many people do when they reach adulthood. You think, well, that was something you did then and, and you don't do it now. But suddenly being, yeah, in this new country where I knew nobody, um, I didn't have anything to, to be... To, I was trying to desperately to get freelance work, but I didn't have anything to do with my social life. I didn't have a social life. Um, and I had already noticed that Danes are very fond of breaking out into song, as you may well have noticed <laughs> also. They officially have, um, as a side note, they officially have the lowest levels of something called gelotophobia in the world. You come across this? No, gelotophobia. This? this is the fear that people will laugh at you. And Danes have oh, the wow. lowest levels of this, so they are really fond of breaking into song at many occasions. And you will often go to um, an organised event and be handed a song sheet. It's just just par for the course. They sing songs about volvos. They take um, they make up songs about their colleagues and put them to the to the tune of Abba. Um, so there's been a lot of singing. And I thought, well, you know. A lot of these people they haven't got great voices, but they're enjoying it. So maybe I could too. So I found out that there was a choir, um, and I went along. And it was it was in a a, it was a gospel choir. It was in a Methodist church. It's all all combining many different cultural influences, um, and it was all Danes. And um, I didn't know what I was singing in Danish, so um, that was interesting. And I was dubbed an alto. And I had last time I'd sung, I'd been you know soprano (laughs) because I'd been very small. Um, So. It, it was really interesting I sort of put in place and there is something even when you don't know you don't understand the words that you're singing and you don't know what's going on there's as you will know and from all the work you do there's just something soul surging about suddenly hearing all these people who I don't know our voices coming together with these amazing mm. acoustics in this church um, I mean it'd just be moved to tears most weeks so it, it was amazing and um, I I I had things to do suddenly that was really helpful but I didn't necessarily make new friends there because uh, Danes take quite a long time to make friends with people (laughs) they are a little like Londoners in that respect it takes a long time to open up but but Mm. they were very sort of smiley and welcoming and you know I ended up doing concerts with them Um, and you know all of the research we all know how good singing has been proven to be for our mm. mood and for feeling a sense of belonging. So it was just really nice. It was suddenly that I had something to do on a Tuesday night. And also I had a sense of belonging. I was part of this choir. I wasn't just that weird British woman who had rocked up. I had an identity. outside. Yeah,
1: exactly. And you, you were part of it. You were in the frame. And I imagine, yeah, moving um to a brand new place that that must must have been you know really important to you at that time
0: yeah yeah really really helpful and actually it sort of gave me the confidence to try try more things and and I was already researching into happiness at the time so every week I was sort of buoyed up by remembering a how much I had loved it last time and how much it had meant to me um the previous week and then and then b each new week I was learning new things about what the impact of the music was to be doing on my brain and on my mood mm. so that was really interesting as well yeah
1: that's all the stuff that fascinates me as well uh, were you singing in danish
0: singing in danish yeah
1: well i mean this is this is impressive stuff <laughs> no, here, it's really I mean, not come on it's really not because <laughs>
0: i had to the concert um the, the first concert i had to have the words written out phonetically and then sellotaped to the woman in front of me's back because I couldn't, I didn't know what. I mean, my Danish is still terrible. But Do you what,
1: there's some people in my choirs who are singing in their native tongue, and they still, you know, don't remember words. So I think, I think that's absolutely permitted. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much, James.
0: You, I you heard it here. Done.
1: <laughs> um, wasn't a choir called Happy Voices, was it? No. No. Okay, because I just, I'm just remembering. I did a, I did a wonderful. I think it was two and a half, three weeks in Denmark touring in 2015 with the Spooky Men's Choral, and we did a gig. With a really fantastic gospel choir called Happy Voices, I can't tell you where it was, um, oh. but it was it was brilliant. Yeah, so I, I don't know. A, a gospel choir is a big thing in, in Denmark. Or is just singing generally a big thing? I
0: think singing is generally a big thing, and also you know I I think because Denmark is a pretty, I mean this isn't going to sound a bit odd, but Denmark is a very secular nation um you don't have to pray to a god that everything's going to be okay in scandinavia like the state has it sorted is the general Mm. uh, approach so um i guess in the uk i would join things like chamber choirs but there's not that there's not that here there's not sort Mm. of big cathedrals with yante's law and the scandinavian idea is that everyone is equal um so there there isn't so much grandeur i think as you might get in the uk so um yeah, I think they they go for whatever the the, the sound that they like best.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Uh, a question that I posed to one of my friends who sings in a, a great choir in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. which I actually included in my book, is: um, is the singing experience? Would could we describe that as huger? Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. Would you would you say so? Good. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's it's. Um, do you know what might be even more huger is the break when you get together at half time interval. time interval oh not mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah and uh, you know have and there's there's always cake and there's tea and and then you're sort of talking about it so the whole experience is because you're feeling those warm feelings and that togetherness which is so important for huger. um but and you're being kind to yourself which is another key thing for huger. um and especially you know i after having children the reconnecting with my diaphragm and my feeling inside my body again that's been massively helpful so yes i think it is but the break time especially
1: do you know what? i think that's almost exactly what burdell said she said for me, the most huger part is afterwards. I think she said, like, when we're in the pub or whatever, or we're sitting yeah. around and we've had that shared experience and you've kind of got that afterglow. Yes, yes. You know, yes. having had had the experience, yeah. Oh, great. Oh, that's good. I'm going to put a big fat tick next to singing <laughs> and huger. That's, that's excellent. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, it would definitely appear that, that singing can contribute to, um, to our happiness. But it's also, singing has also become part... M- into the mainstream conversation around a kind of well-being and mental health. And I know that I think Denmark, like with so many things, it, it seems to be, you know, ahead of the curve, um, it, you know, of, of where we might be in the UK in terms of, um, social prescribing, arts on prescription. And I know that there's, um, there's some fantastic schemes, uh, in Denmark at the moment that are harnessing, uh, not just singing, but also, uh, other kind of cultural activities, um, for people who might be experiencing um, uh, mental health problems or long periods of unemployment. Is that something you could tell me a bit about? Yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah. I, I wrote a piece about this for The Guardian um, last year and it's 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 becoming really big here. Um, maybe it was the year before because we've been in lockdown. But um, yeah, so, Near where I am, they have, they're called culture vitamins courses. I love that. I know, it's so nice. So, what is it? Is
1: there there a Danish word for that?
0: It's it's culture vitamins.
1: Oh, all right okay great oh, that's, you're that's,
0: pretty that's much not, that's fluent so already upset. you're fine yeah yeah
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. but yeah there's um there's a course for people who yeah as you say have been on long-term sick leave or are unemployed um and it's i think it's 10 weeks the the one that i um follow people on and and it, they have things like they have singing in a choir they have visits to art galleries they have um, sessions where they're read to in a library which just seemed so moving yeah. that they sit in a darkened room um, with like blankets and a librarian reads to them for two hours which just seems so lovely um, but yeah it's, it's a really big thing and one of the organisers I spoke to explained it in, in terms of when you're depressed culture is often the first thing you don't bother with which is certainly might been my experience as well it's just mm. it's one of the things that seems like it's a it's a nice to have when actually you and I and both you know on. it's pretty essential mm. um, and you're too you just want to get through the day and so the facilitators of these courses they feel that their role is to get them used to cu- these going on these cultural excursions again or even introducing it for the first time and I think um there's so much research around The power of rituals so for example with the singing in a choir as part of the culture vitamin course you're getting all of the benefits of of doing that and that sense of belonging but because it's structured and ritualized through this this 10 week course there's a real sense of obligation so you might not feel like going one day but you go because you've signed up and you're committed and this apparently works really well for men here i mean danish men it's similar to british men there's a slight aversion to perhaps accepting um help or asking for help um Mm -hmm. and, and being honest about vulnerabilities so that's really helpful and there's also something i've been researching recently this idea that there's a massive shortage of um, of talking therapy access for, mm-hmm. for many people so the buddy system is, is as close as, as many people can get and the idea of having a trusted um, individual who you can speak to and that can be a friend it can be anyone who can listen and the way that the culture vitamins courses are set up in Denmark it's almost like the buddy system plus rituals because you're seeing the same people you can have those deep connections these, those great conversations and it's the ritual it's part of your diary so you go so Yes. Yeah, and it's and and I think everybody's first thought was, well, this must be expensive, but actually it's not. It, it works. People feel better after it. Um, and I think it, it, you have the cost of the setup. But then on the return on the investment, I think you get a three pound return on every one pound investment. So it's just yeah, it seems like a no brainer now. It's so worthwhile. It's such a useful thing. It's
1: amazing. Just, and just all of the different components that you're describing, like the singing on its own is powerful as we've discussed but all those other elements that that you've talked about I think yeah I really hope we start looking to that you know in the UK and from other countries because it's just yeah it's just so um like you say just from all the research you know we just know that these things work
0: yes and it's you know it's proper research but you know it's proper there's um an anthropologist Robin Dunbar who's who's Very famous, coming up with Dunbar's number—the number of people you need in your life to feel properly connected—and and and he's at Oxford University. It's it's research from him. It's there's been I think Alan Johnson started looking into this in the UK more than a decade ago. So it's been studied for years. And Australia's had uh, a framework in place to promote arts and health since 2013. So this is not new. This is all just stuff that we that we should sure. And and
1: I wonder if this will gain more traction, you know. in in a kind of a post, you know, the post COVID recovery or whatever, you know, um, I'm sure there'd be a great Danish word for it. Um, But you know, um, (laughs) these things are going to be need to need to be addressed more more than ever. And um, yeah, so I I hope we can we can all learn from that. Mm. Certainly. Yeah, no, Dunbar's done some amazing um, research on singing, actually, as well. And, and singing is an evolutionary mechanism. So I, I yes, hope, yes. To, hope to track him down for the podcast at some point.
0: Yeah, and I think, that I mean, this may be off topic, but I think um, there are so many people, you know, like you, who are stepping up to do things that I worry sometimes that some of our government ministers just think oh well, it's fine because other people are looking after You think, well yes but mm. also the country needs to help with that as well
1: yeah 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 exactly yeah and, and that, that that thing about ritual as well i mean i've been running the soap things now for almost a year it started at the beginning of our lockdown and it's been twice a week we haven't stopped you know at all um and a lot of people have said that's been a real cornerstone of, of their week because they've had just they know that it's tuesday night or it's friday morning or whatever and they come and they, you know, engage in that and, and it's something they feel they're sharing with other people, even though it's digital. And I think actually, I mean, that's been important for me, you know, in a, in a year that's where everyone, myself included, has felt quite, you know, um, unanchored or, you yeah, know. Yeah, you feel helpless, uh, right? Yeah, just to have those things just to kind of t- to latch into. So all of the component parts you're describing about the, the culture vitamin course, you know, just make complete sense. I love the name as well.
0: Yes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you can speak Danish, who knew?
1: (laughs) Yeah, great. Well, I'm I'm learning so much in this conversation. Um, Okay, great. Well, we've talked about happiness, we've talked about health, but um, let's talk about sadness a little bit as well, Mm -hmm. because this is, so your your new book is out in March uh, 2021. And to give it its full title, it's How to Be Sad, Everything I've Learned About Getting Happier by Being Sad Better, which is I think an an incredibly intriguing book title. <laughs> um, could you maybe give us a little o- overview um, about the book, and then let's just think about how you know singing and and music and song might come into the picture
0: yes of course so I have spent the last eight years now looking into happiness and writing about happiness and um before all this pandemic hit I would go and speak about it around the world and I would meet people I'd interview people and I'd do all the good stuff that we all love to do um but the more I the more and more often I was I was traveling and speaking to people, I I became struck time and again by how people were so obsessed with the pursuit of happiness that they were actually becoming quite phobic of sadness. And I would have people come up to me after events and say, "Um, I've just just lost somebody who's very dear to me. How can I be happy? Or I've just lost my job. Or, um, you know, I'm overwhelmed by caring responsibilities. And uh, they're just sort of, to try and sort of say as gently as possible, that, that's perfectly normal for you to be feeling sad right now. Sadness is what we're supposed to feel when we experience these losses and mm. disappointments. Um, and I I started looking into that really as well. And I think personally, I lost my sister when I was little and my mum and I were very much encouraged to just get on that British stiff upper lip thing. Mm. And having dealt with my own feelings feelings around emotion and sadness and that propensity for cheerfulness. Just carry on, it'll be fine over the years. Um I have a very, very wise therapist said, It's no surprise to me at all that you studied happiness for the last eight years. Um and now you have to really kind of get in touch with all of your emotions. And it's not just me. I the more I started researching into it, the more common I found it that actually People are really frightened of being sad, um, especially in the U.S. Actually, they are the world leaders on being afraid of sadness and um, chasing happiness. But if we are if we are phobic of sadness, we do ourselves a disservice in so many ways because sadness is going to happen. So we might as well know how to do it right. And also, by avoiding sadness, um, any kind of thought suppression has been proven that the thoughts come back tenfold. And also, there are some advantages to feeling sad. It makes us kinder. It makes us more clear-eyed. We're less likely to fall prey to um, either the halo effect, where we think like beautiful, famous people are amazing mm. and perfect, or the fundamental attribution error, where we become defensive and assume the worst intent of people. We are we have greater perseverance. We have better attention to detail. So this this temporary sadness is actually good for us. It's a contemplative state and if we can sit with it for a while even when it feels uncomfortable even when it's difficult or awkward it will be able to move on more quickly and Mm. stop normal sadness which we all experience from tipping over into something more serious um so of course I'm not you know saying that you can handle depression by just singing your way through it although there is also evidence there but um I was just very keen to differentiate between normal sadness and depression and the fact that in all respects um by sitting with normal sadness and having some really helpful tools to know how to handle it you can protect yourself a little more against it's tipping into something more serious
1: so what role might music and and songs in particular think i mean songs are just so powerful aren't they yeah you know when we're talking about singing obviously we're talking about the songs um is there anything that, that you found in your research or anything in the book uh, or anything personally that kind of um, shines a light on that?
0: Yes. Yeah, I think there's, um, I always love, you've probably come across as well, that have you heard the study about the mice and la, tra- la traviata... this is my favorite study i like to tell i like to tell people it and watch them think i'm making it up but there was a study um from 2012 they found that mice who were played la traviata during recovery from a heart transplant um lived almost four times longer than mice who were denied their fill of opera so you know the idea that um that this sort of soul surging music has an impact on the humble mouse as well oh my goodness i love that you know and There's research from Imperial College London showing that live music reduces levels of stress hormones. Um, Attending live concerts can can boost moods. Um, So these are all things that can help when we are allowed to do these things again. But from speaking to the culture vitamin experts in Denmark as well, um, they they schooled me a little in music therapy or what they do there to reduce psychological stress and um, experiences of depression and anxiety. And this wasn't what I expected at all. I thought there was either going to be something involving bells or Enya. Uh, and they said, no, what you really Insane want. Incent sticks. Yes, exactly. They said well music sounds. to reduce arousal. I was like, OK, OK, What? Well, I just couldn't think what it was that he was going to say. And then he told me Jack Johnson.
1: Right. OK.
0: <laughs> Jack Johnson, Banana Pancakes, apparently, is the music oh, yeah. that's, it's a, that's it's a great sort tune. of pleasant, but not too taxing. And it can just, if you feel yourself, and I've, you know, I've suffered from panic attacks in the past as well. And I can now think about this and think, actually, yeah, that would be quite soothing to just bring you back down and ground you. And I'm using my hands a lot, which is no good on our podcast, but you get what I mean. Um, So this idea that um, studies also show that music can... um, foster a sense of belonging and give us an identity and even help us heal Um, and when we're depressed we're actually more inclined to seek out sad music so research from uh, the university of south florida found that we we tend to choose the sad music because it's relaxing and calming and soothing which makes perfect sense my my favorite song is van halen's jump but when i am at my lowest that would just feel unthinkable. You right, need something exactly. to match your mood and make you feel less alone. Mm. So music, as I'm sure you find as well, gives us that that sort of companionship. And even people who are not depressed prefer sad music when they're feeling down because it can act like a little supportive friend almost.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely. There's a line, I can't remember, it's in the History Boys and I can't remember, I think it might be quoting somebody and it says it's that thing about when it's like someone reaching out of the page and saying like you know I feel how you're feeling I, you know I've been there I'm with you I'm just paraphrasing there, that that but... is
0: no you're right that used to be um that used to be on a tube poster that's an Alan Bennett quote that used to be on a tube oh, poster Alan Bennett yes of yeah. course and um I love that yes I think books have always done that for me but mm. um and and I guess words are probably the 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 one that feel closest to me but certainly music there are songs that have the power to floor me still now and. That, and sometimes that can be actually quite helpful. When researching the Atlas of Happiness, there's this amazing concept from, um, well, big in Brazil, but it's a Portuguese concept of Sardarji, which is the melancholy um, of, of a happiness that once was. And so it's that bittersweet pleasure of remembering mm. something that you used to love or that used to bring you happiness. And listening to a song that perhaps brings back memories is the perfect example of that, that you sometimes you just you're not quite sure why but you just need to feel sad about something that you've remembered and so you can listen to a song as a trigger and it bring it all back and then just sit with that sadness and then move on with your day and I and think that's move on
1: with powerful. it, yeah because yeah I mean songs have really do have that power um
0: what what does it for you
1: well I was just thinking about that actually I I, I mean probably my number one musical love if I had to pick out one artist would be Joni Mitchell uh-huh. And of course, you know most people know Joni for Blue, which you know is really wearing her heart on her sleeve. Um, but you know there is a deeply kind of melancholic vein running all the way through Joni's music, which I really, really relate to. And you know, I, I generally I, I would say I have a fairly sunny um, disposition, um, but there is just something in that music that just really um, it really kind of touches my soul. And and if there are times I need to listen to Joni, like sometimes it's almost like. I'll... I've said this to my wife, you know, um, there are some times where I I need to go and get some exercise to just kind of, you know, realign myself or whatever. But there are some times where I literally need to put on a Joni Mitchell record and her, hear her singing those things. And it's just the sound world that she creates. And when you listen to interviews with Joni, you know, she's incredibly playful, you know, you know, people might expect it to be this really kind of intense, you know, um, because often her music comes out like that, but you know she's incredibly kind of playful, and articulate and funny, and I kind of don't think that there's a contradiction, um, you know, between those, those two those two things. I mean, I, I was speaking to um, uh, David and, and Nobu from Kwai Choir Choir in Canada, who lead these euphoric mass um, singing events across the world uh, and I was t- talking to, D- to to Nobu and he said his favorite genre of music is what he called happy sad music. Oh lovely. Uh, <laughs> which I really like yeah I'm sure there's again there's a, probably a Danish word for that exact term um, <laughs> but I knew exactly what he meant you know we, we were talking about some of our favorite artists um, Joni Mitchell, um, John Martin, um, Nick Drake mm. you know where it just it's just this kind of very beautiful music tinged with this kind of kind of soulful sadness which which I think I don't know it just feels very healthy somehow to engage in that emotion and I think and that's why I'm really looking forward to reading reading your book about that kind of just permission to feel those things
0: yes yeah
1: and not necessarily sitting it for a long time
0: yeah that you can just listen and feel it and you know it's such a it's such a sense memory it can take you back to an exact time I think that's there's something rather beautiful of that as well that you can listen to a song. and think, "Oh, I remember that horrific breakup," and actually, I can think back, and look at it fondly now. That's something really powerful. Yeah,
1: and and not airbrush it out. Yes, yeah. Because, like you say, you know, it'll, it'll catch up with you uh, eventually. Um, what what would what would your kind of go to song be? You know, if you're kind of, you know, if you if if Jump by Van Halen is too much for you, and you just need something. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, my go-to sad you know. one. Um, let me think. I, let me see, what's on my, I normally have a playlist, well, I have a playlist for every book that I write. Um, yeah,
1: I was just thinking, I've got um, Leap Year here, and you've got, oh, yes. you've got your playlist at the back here. Yeah.
0: There's
1: uh, some great stuff, there's some Pet Shop Boys in there, yes.
0: Yes, oh, well, I oh, Pet Shop Boys Suburbia I'm listening to a lot at the moment, actually. Um, oh, what
1: a, oh, what a song that is. God.
0: Yeah, it's good. I'm listening to, yeah, when for this song, I've listened to a lot of... Talking about a revolution, Tracy Chapman. I've listened to a lot of Blinded by Your Grace, Stormzy, and Who Loves You, the Four Seasons. Yes. Sort of, there's a, a nuance and a, yeah, a sort of twinge. It's not completely um, unambiguous. I quite like that.
1: Mm. Oh, those are all, all great choices. If you had to pick one, we do have a playlist for the oh, podcast yes. oh, where okay. each guest picks a song. So I'm, I'm kind of gently narrowing you down here, okay. uh, Helen.
0: If I had to pick one song forever, then I'm afraid it would be Van Halen's Jump. But um, in the How To Be Sad, I I interview an Arctic explorer, polar explorer, Ben Saunders. And he, I first met him in 2004 when he was about to go on an expedition by himself. And he told me that the song he has to listen to, to unzip the tent in the morning when you're going out into, into an atmosphere so cold that your eyelashes freeze open. He has to listen to White Snakes, Here I Go Again on my own. And that always feels quite a... A sort of, it's it's rousing, but it's also it's acknowledging that it could be tough out there, and and that's okay too. I think that's quite helpful.
1: Okay, so should we add that one to the playlist then? Oh,
0: you can have White Snake or Van Halen. I don't mind.
1: <laughs> All right, should I make an executive decision? Yes. Okay, great. I'll, okay. I'll choose one of those two okay, and thank put you. it on there. And uh, people can, can click on the link in the show notes and will be able to find wh- which song we've gone for for the playlist. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Helen. Uh, we've talked about happiness and health and, and sadness and singing and so much. Um, I wonder if we could just wrap things up um, by, if you could tell me one thing that you think singing has taught you as a life lesson. You know, you described, you know, you sung through school and then in Denmark and your flirtations with a hacker. <laughs> what can you take from from those singing experiences?
0: I think it for me, singing is the is the quickest and most surefire route to making it feel as though my heart is about to explode. It's that it's that inside you, it feels like it's growing um, when when you're singing, and I and I love that, and I miss that.
1: Brilliant. Well, you can you can sing along at the top of your voice of Frozen 2 like we talked okay. about at the beginning. Yes, you know, we, we don't do have that. To be <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Helen. That Thank was an absolute you. joy. Thank you. Thanks again to Helen. I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope that you did too. If you go to the show notes, you'll find a link to the article Helen was talking about with reference to the culture vitamin program in Denmark, a scheme that I find really, really exciting and really inspiring. There's also a link to Helen's new book, How To Be Sad. And there's also a podcast of the same name, which I'd really recommend. It's fantastic. There's also the playlist for this podcast and for that i chose helen's number one choice of jump by van halen so you can stick that on loud and sing along and enjoy that thanks so much for all the comments i've received so far on the podcast it's really really lovely to hear from you so do find me on social media you can find me on instagram or twitter at j music that's also the same for facebook as well or you can drop me an email through my website. I really, really love hearing from you. We've talked about lots of Helen's books today. You can find those on her website. And if you fancy a free chapter of my book, you can register for my newsletter at my website, james-sills.com, and you'll get the first chapter of my book, Do Sing, Reclaim Your Voice, Find Your Singing Tribe, as a free PDF download. So please continue to tell your friends about the podcast, spread the good news about singing and I look forward to welcoming you again on This Is Why We Sing. Bye for now.